the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson. Joining me is editor Trevor Chahan. Hello. And online editor Kevin Ayres. Hello. Well, lads, it was fantastic. It was massive. It was pulsating. Stoke it was sound. huge, and that was just Mustafa Amini's hair. <laughs> the A-League Grand Final, well, who'd have thunk it? What a day. Yeah. What a game. I mean, where do we start? I mean, let's start... The first 90 with, minutes. Let's start with the first 90 minutes. Um, well, let's start with the crowd, first of all. How good did it look? That was sensational. It really was. Yeah, it was I mean, like... How nice was it? I was, I was tweeting at the time. Just when the, when the build-up was going on on the side of the pitch, and it was against the backdrop of filling stands and almost full stands all of a sudden it just looks a different sort of proposition altogether doesn't it it's just proper football game Ugh. and when they came out you know I mean, I've always loved going to Holland games and seeing the Dutch play just simply because that bright orange is so striking in a crowd and it was amazing it was like a, you know the best like a best compliment I could pay it was like a Dutch home game oh yeah I mean my yeah. girlfriend walked past the television and just stopped in her tracks I was transfixed by it. She just couldn't believe that there was that crowd and it looked that good. And then there was that block of yellow and blue right in the middle of it. It was was awesome. It felt like a a proper event, didn't it? Yeah. Not a single cop dividing them. Yeah. Quite happily living together. All right. So, I mean, obviously then the game kicked off. Let's talk about sort of the first half. Um, Trev, how did you see the first half go? I know Andy Harper commented at the time that he felt that Central Coast were kind of, you know, edging. You know, I, I would have had it on a pre-even kill, to be fair. Um, the sort of ex- exchange of blows. I mean, a really entertaining first half. I think all three of us were tweeting about that when we were saying that even though it's nil-nil at half-time, like finals often find themselves, it was still belting first 45. Um, you know, either a side could have opened up the scoring. And it's exactly what you want. You know, you want it to be tense. You want it to feel like a final. You don't want it to be, you know, completely, you know, open and... To, you know, to too much of an extent. So it still felt like a final, so it still had that tension, and it was still open enough to have chances. So, Kev, okay, you, you'd probably say that, that Raw did start a little bit the nervier of the two teams, I felt. I thought that, that they were a little bit, you know, like looking around, a little bit hesitant, because I think they probably had the most to lose. Yeah, I mean, they, they were very edgy, clearly, and yeah. you know, they were the favourites. Everybody expected them to come out and dominate and take the game. Uh, and the Mariners really took the game to them instead. Uh, I was really impressed by the way the Mariners came out and hey, built their side up. But it was end-to-end stuff. Both sides had hey, opportunities. And it was based on skill. It wasn't based on uh, errors. You know, It was a lot of good football being played there, good intelligent football. Yeah, well, the heavens opened at half-time. Second half, uh, greasy pitch. Ball was fizzing around a bit more. You'd probably say that that played into Brisbane's hands a bit more in the second half and that they were moving the ball, they were able to move the ball a bit quicker. Yeah, to a certain extent. I th- you know, I think in many ways the Mariners also, you know, would have benefited from trickier conditions. Um, but I think the pace of the game disappeared fairly quickly. After about the hour mark, it slowed down dramatically and it changed. It was a very different game from that point onwards. Uh, but Mariners were... Admirable under uh, intense pressure from Roar, I thought. Their defence, they defended very deep. Yes, Fansfag and Wilkinson were, were fantastic. But they, just the organisation and defence uh, and the, their ability to keep a cool head under pressure right up until later on, obviously. But in that second half, I was blown away by just how well they were defending. And Trev Arney showed you know, some, some tactical nous and a, and a fair bit of bravery in that second half. In that, you know, he, 
he didn't wait too long to to remove Amini. You know, Amini no. had a couple of bright moments, but probably didn't have the impact that he might have hoped. Yeah. Um, so you know, he took him off on the hour. Brought on John Hutchinson, who's obviously a very different type of player, a bit more of a defensive midfielder. Mm. But then again, he then removed uh, Griffiths yeah. and brought on uh, Bernie up front, who, yeah. who made who a massive excellent. difference. Who he came on yeah. and just you know just revitalised them. Really gave them a bit of a burst of energy and and. Bar Matthew Breeze's controversial, would you say, whistle, or is it? Time's I thought up, time's it was a great game, didn't it? No, I thought Breeze yeah. had a great game. Had a yeah. really good game, Breeze. I admit there was a couple of things that maybe he should have blown for that he didn't. Uh, maybe, but I, I think he played a really, really good game, the best game I've seen under a referee in uh, the A League Keep at them. all. I think, to be honest. Mm, I mean, keeping the cards in the pocket, wasn't it? it was, yeah. was quite important. We've seen how badly that's gone wrong in previous years. You know, going back to Arnie's substitutions, what was really interesting about them, they were really bold substitutions. And they were done at a time where it was going to make a massive pivotal difference. You see some subs that are sort of made of a few minutes to go, and it's almost like a token change, you know, yeah. almost like another scene. But they, they were sort of early enough that they could bed themselves in and, and make a massive difference. But I also felt, and I remember tweeting at the time to you, Ken, was that even, you know, when you said, oh, you know, he's bold, he's bringing on another striker, I actually thought that that was, that was also... A, a defensive move in the best possible way because I, fe- I think that he felt with Griffiths sitting too deep Hutchinson now on it instead of Amini who was sitting deeper than Amini that they were almost inviting Brisbane onto them too much and were under pressure because of that so he, th- he, he takes off Griffiths knowing that Hutchinson's now fulfilling that sort of defensive mid throws on Bernie and just says right harry them don't let them have time on the ball at the back and, and sort of disrupt them from the front, which they'd stopped doing. So I thought it was quite a smart move oh, from, from two points. One, it was a defensive move to help to start defending higher up the pitch, which they sort of stopped doing, I felt. It gave them that other attacking option, gave them yeah. that, that, t- that ability to, to break away uh, quickly. And, it, yeah, it was a masterstroke. It really was a game-changer, uh, as I said at the time. And I think it was a very, very brave move by Arnold to do it. At the time he did it as well, it was a time where, really, if that went wrong, he wasn't giving himself any time to recover from it as yeah. well. Uh, but it went right for him, uh, for that moment anyway. All right, well, extra time. Uh, a good game <coughs> developed into a classic in extra time with uh, with the Mariners racing into a two-goal lead in the first period with goals from uh, from Adam Kwasnick and then uh, Kwasnick again setting up Bazanic. Uh, it was quite a neat little finish from Bazanic as well. He didn't panic because no. there was no. a fella sliding <laughs> in and if he'd have just tried to have gone straight, that, that would have been blocked and it was a neat little... It would have been a massive miss of the season, wouldn't it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Hands on heart. Who thought it was all over? Yeah, all over. I'd, oh, absolutely. Did anyone yeah. think it wasn't? No. I'd, I'd actually drafted a tweet while it was 2-0. I'd, I'd, I'd written it. And probably it was a little bit bitter and disappointing because I really wanted Brisbane to win the final because I felt they deserved it. And the tweet was something along the lines of, congratulations to this season's champions, Brisbane, and congratulations to Central Coast for winning the cup. Uh, you know, and, and I'd written it and I, just, I didn't send it because I thought, oh, well, just in case. <laughs> it's not going to happen but just in case I won't send it and then I found myself deleting it and writing something completely different so yeah I, um, I thought it was gone I, I spoke to Ange yesterday actually and I asked him about you know that moment when there was five minutes to go the camera panned to him I remember thinking I wonder what's going through his mind like we've tried so hard to get here and it's all over and he said you know without sounding smug you know he felt that having watched that team all season that if they could get one there were a very very good chance to get a second and well that's exactly what happened. I, mean, I, think, I think a lot of people thought that, but I thought once it got to 116 minutes and they hadn't got the one, no, exactly. that, that oh, was absolutely. it. You, know, it was yeah. like you sort of felt that 
they had to score in the first couple of minutes of that second period and then it would have been game on but as it was they only needed four minutes so when the second goal went in that was it as far as I was concerned it was over the second when Brisbane scored though from that point on I was convinced they would get that mm. equaliser absolutely convinced yeah I mean I can't admit, I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't actually cheering for either side. No. But when that second goal yeah, went in, I went mad. I jumped off the couch <laughs> with this sort of. I didn't shout yes, I shouted, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I was on my own watching yeah. it, I don't know if you did. And it was like a, oh my god, I can't believe they've done it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's sort uh, of a half celebration because I was exactly the same. But, you know, th- there was a part of me that was pleased to see him score, I've got to be honest. But also, I think. I think a, I've not heard a huge amount made. I might be wrong. I didn't. I didn't get to see Fox Sports FC this week. But about the quality of the ball in from Browich, you know, if, if someone puts the ball down in the last minute of extra time and puts it straight in the top corner from a free kick, we would be raving about them mm. for the next the next few months. No different what he did then. Put the ball down on the corner spot. Knew that this was the last chance they had, and he put in a ball of such quality that two or three of them could have headed that. You know, it's part of yeah. got his head on it. Pace beat the first man, trajectory, keeper couldn't come for it. It was just a, an amazing moment of skill, I thought, for him. Symptomatic of his entire season. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what you turn to him for, and he's delivered time and time again. Uh, he's just a quality player, and, you know, hopefully we can hang on to him next season. And uh, Trev, penalties? Well, yeah, d- as soon as it went to penalties, I, I felt that I couldn't not see Brisbane win it. It reminded me a little bit of the West Ham-Liverpool FA Cup final to a West Ham again, but when Liverpool scored in the last minute and it sort of went, yeah, and momentum. you just felt, you, I just as a West Ham fan, I thought, oh, going through the motions here, there's no way we're going to win this penalty shootout. And it doesn't always happen, it didn't happen in the Asian Cup, did it? When no, it, South Korea equalised in the last minute. Exactly, and then yeah. So it, do, it doesn't always happen, but you certainly get a feeling that the, the team that sort of has snatched it's going to go on to win the penalties, and, and especially the way that Brisbane have been passing all season, I fancy them to pass a few more into the net. Yeah. Um, and Theoklatos is a, is a great goalkeeper, and we'd heard a lot about how good he was at penalties as well and he didn't disappoint okay if you if you wanted to like you know we talk in football a lot about momentum and about having periods of momentum and then not this game you could probably say yeah you could actually map out the momentum in this game and how it swung and changed you know it started with the Mariners then Brisbane had a massive period then the Mariners towards the end Mariners first period of extra time Brisbane second period of extra time and then Brisbane carried it on to win it um from the penalties themselves, obviously Theoklitos will come out of this as the hero. Um, you got to feel sorry for Matt Ryan. He was uh, disconsolate at the end. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think you, you can ever ever blame a goalkeeper for in penalties. You, it's just you can't do it. It's all yeah. glory for them, isn't it? Theoklitos was just stunning. Uh, absolutely stunning. There's I like the one, the authentic. hand back that Schwarzer yeah. has just yeah. tipped it over. Because he should have saved the first one. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> I think he knew he should have yeah. saved the first one. He said it's right. But I, I think that as well, the thing that I like most about this, having thought about it in depth in, after the game, was that there was no villain. No, absolutely. No, no one, yeah. it was, it, there was no mistake from anyone. Right. No one missed the penalty. They yeah. were saved. Like, no one blazed it over the bar and is like, yeah, you know, the what if. So it was one of those perfect sort of days, really. Yeah. It was a phenomenal game of football, great drama, and at the end of it, there's no scapegoat. There's no one yeah. sort of sort of carrying it, a can. It was one on skill, not yeah. by mistake. Yeah, uh, and that, you can't ask for better than that. I think under the circumstances. Yeah. yeah, I had the, the moment I tweeted about about Alex Wilkinson. We've met him a few times, and he is top top guy, isn't he? And that moment when he walks off the stand, he looked down at his losers, losers medal. He's third. Yeah. Runners up, grand final runners up medal. I felt really sorry for him, so I wouldn't mind seeing the Mariners do it next year. 
And in the, in the fallout, talking to the other, I know Ada was up there talking to some of the other Brisbane players the day after. They all spoke about Matt Mackay's sort of role at half time, you know, because obviously they they turned straight around, so there's no chance for Ange to talk to him. But he sort of stepped up and you know sort of did that and, and earned his stripes as a skipper. His acceptance speech or his winning speech. Did anyone else think the sort of yeah. nod to the Mariners was a little bit? Yeah, no, yeah, no, I agree. A little bit ungracious. Where he sort of said, "If you come back and do the same next year, you'll do quite well." I was like, I, just I think I was, was still little... struggling with my red button at that stage. I missed that part. Yeah, of the I just felt it was a little bit. And the person, the people I was with, commented on that as well. Yeah, so it I, didn't feel. It didn't feel that and gracious. It's, it's hand to it? them, and they sort of looks. I mean, look, yeah. he's a footballer. I mean, it's a minor point. You don't know what's going through people's minds at that yeah. time. Yeah, but. He's, he's probably quite overexcited, and you know, he kicks a football rather than constructs speeches for a living. So, um, yeah, you know, true. that's probably the reason. We'll let him off that one. Uh, <laughs> pity the people that left. Oh, no. No, no, I'm not sure. Is it pity? Should we feel yeah. pity or just yeah, you got just, what you deserve? Apparently, I've heard stories that someone was telling me that there, there's people on a bus um, that had got on a bus at the ground, the free shuttle buses, and the uh, they'd heard the roar, and then the bus driver put on the radio, and they listened to it on the bus. Then he drove them back, turned around, and drove <laughs> them back really? for the presentation. <laughs> Good guy. But could you imagine being the dad? That ushered your kid out of that. To, Come on, son, we're going to beat the traffic. Yeah, <laughs> game over. I can't he believe my never, luck, I got a free bus. He would never <laughs> forgive you. <laughs> All right, I mean, Trev, any final thoughts on the game, the, the occasion? Yeah, I mean, I suppose what I was thinking about, you know, not, not to bring the sort of code rivals back into it again, and I tried to think of some sort of formula about, you know, say two goals is the average amount of goals to score in a football game, for argument's sake and say 40 points is the average of scoring rugby. Now, if you had 40 unanswered points going into the last few minutes of a rugby game, you've won it, Yeah, for, you know, for example. But two up in football is a big lead, but you can lose it really, really quick. And, and I think that those final few moments and the pennies, uh, it's one of those moments that separates football from other sports in the most positive ways. And, and that's how I you know, reflected on it. For it to happen in a grand final with that many people there was after a season that despite the playing going well has been a tough one for the A-League and for us covering the A-League so it's such a you know yeah. a perfect end and you know when the season starts again in three years time we can uh, I also think you know on that you know that swing that you can get in football in such a short space of time from 2-0 which mm. is a handsome winning margin mm. you know probably the equivalent of you know three or four tries in rugby or you know five or six goals um, you know to in three minutes completely changed but then the drama's still not over because then you've got five sudden death spot kicks each you know, absolutely it, yeah. it, it really did I think just show and also the best thing is that nil nil draws don't have to be boring oh exactly you know? no, after exactly. 90 minutes so, the 90 minutes was great you know, yeah. the extra time was phenomenal but then I still enjoyed the 90 minutes and Kev you know, we, we talked about this at, at length it, Priya, there, there was a little bit of you know, negativity around the pricing of the tickets, which has been you know, the public answered with their feet and their wallets. So. Definitely. I mean, uh, personally, I thought the, the top-tier tickets, the, the most expensive ones, were possibly a little bit pricey. But uh, they were the first to go. But they were, they were sold out instantly. Uh, and the other ones were, uh, were fine. I, you know, I think, given that there's basically the same price they've been for the last four years... You can't really say that they've uh, been priced out of the market. And also, the top tier tickets were still significantly cheaper than the cheapest seat at an AFL grand final. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think, whilst I appreciate that we are you know, the challenger code, I also think that we shouldn't devalue 
the, the showpiece game of our season, you know. Definitely. And I think it was in line with other codes finals, and i.e. cheaper. And it was in line with previous pricing for grand finals. And at the end of the day, without any doubt whatsoever, you can definitely say everybody got the money's worth. I reckon every person there would have paid twice as much if you'd asked them on definitely. the way out. You know? yeah. Yeah. If they were still in the stadium. And there'd be yeah. another 50,000 there. No, oh, they would have wished they'd bought a ticket. But also, it'll be one of those games that 150,000 people will we're be at. saying that they yeah. were at for the next <laughs> 10 years. It's a bit like Australia, Uruguay. I think there was a million people who were actually at that game. I think Adam Peacock's the only person I've ever met that's admitted he wasn't, he wasn't there. there. Yeah. I wasn't there either, but I didn't live in and the, 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 the only other thing that, you know, and, and not, it, it's not really a negative, but it was just the sort of question that inevitably... I found myself asking when I was looking at the, the sheer amount of orange in those stands. Now, there's a level of investment there because they've all got shirts. You know? oh, I was and amazed how many think, people had shirts. Where uh-huh. have they been yeah. all season? Yeah. You know, genuinely, where have you been, guys? You know, they're not cheap your team shirts. has been phenomenal all it's, year. And for the price of the shirt, you could have had a season ticket. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah. it's like the, uh, the banner that was up at uh, when Sydney played LA Galaxy. We do this every week. Yeah. You know, where were they the rest of the season? Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, you know, hopefully that's, that's they'll, them for they'll the next never season. get a bigger hook yeah, to come back you than know. they got last Sunday. So let's hope that um, Brisbane, and it seems like they are, they're already out in the community, which is excellent, taking the trophy on tours and yeah. stuff like that. Let's hope that they can capitalise on that. They've also got a 10% early bird discount already available on memberships for next year, which is excellent. So they seem to be uh, looking to capitalise it. And the only downside, I guess, is it's a bloody long off-season now. Well, I mean, this is, this is the thing. It's like I mentioned after the, the match, you know, if that was in the middle of the season, can you imagine what the crowds would have been like the following weekend in the A-League? Uh, you know, it's, it's a hell of a long time to wait for it to come round. Um, How'd they use that moment to try and sell it next year, you know? Yeah. As much I mean, as possible in the sort of... If you could bottle that two hours up into a 60-second TVC, you'd have one of the, the most uh, compelling reasons to get out and support the A-League next year. Yeah. All right, that's it for part one. That's our A-League final wrap-up. We will be back in part two to look at some of the headlines on our website, au.442.com. The new issue of 442 is now on sale, and it's a master and apprentice special with worldwide exclusive interviews with Messi and Maradona. And look at whether Messi could be called the greatest ever yet. We also catch up with local heroes Matt Mackay and Patricio Perez and look back on the Socceroos' Asian Cup campaign in pictures. We take you to London for the inside story of Aussie and Kiwi hopefuls taking part in Nike's The Chance Initiative and take a look at whether tactics are overrated in football, plus the regular planet football and performance performance section with additional video and photo features in the iPad edition. On sale now at all good news agents or the App Store. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to look at some of the news headlines on our website au.442.com. Uh, hot on the heels of the grand final afterglow was uh, Holger's next uh, soccer squad to face Germany. Um, Kev, no massive surprises in the squad, or was there? I mean, Scott McDonald probably was the no, surprise, th- or know, is it a surprise now? I think. Is Drew a goal only? How long have we signed that for? I think there comes a time when we really have to try and find other solutions. He's, he's clearly not the solution we need at the moment, anyway. Uh, so, no, I, you know, the main squad was uh, pretty predictable, solid, good to see Mitch Langreich getting, getting his call up. Uh, although there does seem to be an awful lot of talk that, you know, 
in terms of him actually playing in the game, whereas you would think he's probably going to be in the bench if Schwarzer is actually yeah, there. Yeah, I think I, I get the feeling that it's more, you know, getting him, him a feel for the level, the standard, and, and he's there. Yeah, you know, he, yeah. He's, he's a lot of the news reports though seem to be talking in terms of him actually playing. When yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see, see that, that happening. He might get a second half. Might get a second half. I mean, the the one surprise to me, uh, I tweeted at the time, was that even post Asian Cup, where our lack of any sort of depth at left back was mm. made glaringly obvious, we still don't have a. Well, I you know I don't classify Dave Carney as a as a no, specialist left he's back. He's not. He's a midfielder playing yeah. left back, you know. And I think that you know we've had two very good left backs in the A League, and Holger has you know proven himself willing to give people the chance. And I would have loved to have seen either Josh Rose or Stefanuto in their trip. Yeah, I'm sure they would have been willing. Obviously, it's an A League light squad with the exception of of Robbie Cruz, um, and those players are a due a break. But look, if you turn round to them and said. You know, do you want to come and play against Germany or be in the German squad in a couple of weeks' time? No one's going to turn that down. Um, in particular, Josh, Joshua Rose, in, in terms of having a look at him at an international standard. Um, you know, Stephanie's got a couple of caps to his name, isn't he? Um, so, yeah, I was probably most disappointed that, that Rose is, isn't in there. And Kev, um, Spiranovic has raised a few eyebrows. His, his omissions, you get a feeling... I mean, certainly when we, we spoke to Holger last week, he, he spoke very highly of him. And then, So is this maybe a case of him just saying... Stay with the club and get back to fitness. I think it's all. There's there's a few sort of key admissions there that uh, you possibly expect to be in the side, like Josh Kennedy and stuff. And I think a lot of these guys are just letting bed into the their their club at the start of their season. Uh, there's no real uh, a Asian presence apart from Oganovsky, who's obviously Asian Player of the Year, who's going to walk into his first team side. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is, is, are we sort of seeing this? You know, given that. The World Cup qualifiers start at the end of this year. That, that that's sort of you know we can pretty much bank on Ognanovsky and Neil being a centre back pairing at least for the first period of qualification. You'd say if not right the way through. I think so. I mean you know there's still mileage left in Big Sasha uh, for a while yet. Uh, I mean he might not see his that pairing might not see us through all the way through to the World Cup, but certainly while we've got them, we might as well use them. Field the best team, uh, especially if there's. Club domestic issues with uh, some of the, the young pretenders. Cool. And Trev, I mean, Holger, you know, we, we spent some time with him last week. Mm. Massive fan, I've got to say. You yeah. know, and also, good personality. this isn't someone just no longer sort of just talking the talk. You know, he's got runs on the board. He's got us to an Asian Cup final. You know, came very close to winning it. Um, you know, I like this idea of having a, a camp for the younger players yep. tacked on to the start. It gives them the opportunity to put the case forward it gives Vidmar who will be there with the Socceroos anyway a chance to scout all of the European based young kids in one go for the Oli Roos um, you know, and for all the Mustafa Aminis that we're fully aware of there were a few names in this squad that I've got to admit I didn't have a clue they were no. I was running to Google Googling Massimo Luongo yep. um, <laughs> who's playing for the Spurs Academy I found out and doing quite well he's playing very highly he's from Parramatta originally Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's good to hear a few more names. I know that they've got quite um, high hopes for that younger generation. You know, yeah. the, the, the guys that are bought in now. Perhaps not the sort of um, mid to lower 20 year old players they're not so sure about. But, you know, that, that could be the, the next really, really strong set of players that end up playing in Europe. And, I mean, just have a little rundown of the clubs that they're playing at. It's I know, was, you, know. you know, there were some names there, Kev, as well, you know, like. Kieran Bacchus at Le Mans in France. Yep. Arte Dracina at Hertha Berlin. 
you Corey know, Gamiero. So I you know, decent clubs there. Fulham, you know, Newcastle. Bruce, Zagreb, Newcastle, Fulham, Berlin. You know, so are we to look for this that, that you know, the future might not be as bleak as we've sort of feared? No, I mean, I think um, there's always been a good, very young talent out there playing at top, you know, at the academies of top clubs. For example, Casper Tafta uh, a few years back was uh, over in Portugal. Uh, and it's, it's that crucial development period that we seem to lose some of them. Players that just don't develop in the same way that Kaz Patafta never quite realised the potential that we all hoped he was going to show. Uh, but the, the, uh, the Socceroos setup is still very convinced that the young Socceroos is where our future lies. Well, uh, I, sort of, I sort of get the feeling, and, and from that meeting last week at the FFA, that, that the, the central FFA technical department, and that includes Holger, that includes Hamburger, is a, is a bit more actively involved in these guys' decision making than, than it perhaps was. You know that you know that these guys are going to, to good developmental leagues like Holland and and they've been kept in the fold. They've been kept up to date, and this is a perfect example of yes. this. That, that that they're sort of you know they're, they're under the wing a bit more rather than being left out there on their own. And definitely, I mean, I think you know this is. A this training camp thing is something we should have been doing God knows how many times in the past. And it would have protected players like Erson Gulam, you know, at least given yeah. us the option. Whether or not he's good enough is another matter. Yeah. But at least would have given us the option and he would have felt part of the, part the, of the setup. Yeah. Uh, I think what they're going to learn off someone like Holger and the rest of the country. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Braddon Inman's another one who's in danger of being snaffled by Scotland. Uh, and he's going to feel loved by us and, you know, hopefully it will, you know, keep him in the fold, give us options. Cool. That's what we need. We can't afford to lose people. Yeah, well, Olympics qualifying starts this year as well. We've got the Under-20 World Cup coming up, so hopefully we'll uh, we'll get a chance to see some of these guys uh, pull on the green and gold, not just train. So it looks like uh, there's some talent out there, certainly. Uh, Is there any, tele- any television of the Under-20s? I think so. I'm pretty certain SBS. Is it SBS? Yeah, yeah so good. Yeah. Pretty certain. It's a FIFA tournament so I'm sh- and a FIFA World Cup recognised tournament, so yeah. Uh, talking of Mustafa Amini, uh, he's headed over to Europe for trials with uh, with Borussia Dortmund and Newcastle United. So he's, he's going to spend uh, ten days training with Dortmund. Um, is he actually trialing for, for with a position in mind, or is it just to sort of keep him fit for the for the World the, Cup? I think euphemistically, it's being said that he's going to train with these clubs. But I think you can read that as being it's going to be a trial. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's looking for a gig with them. Uh, and they're obviously interested in him. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big move for him if he can uh, pull any of these, either of these off. Well, he's certainly got that, you know, he's got that, um, you know, unmistakability about his appearance. I mean, we've seen that in the half a season with the Mariners, he's become a complete cult hero for oh, the ovation yeah. he gets you know and he's just so uh, a number of fans walking around with the Ronald McDonald absolutely you know, imagine the Geordies <laughs> 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 they'd have a field day so anyway he's had a fantastic breakthrough season and we, we wish him all the best those um, pictures of him at the hairdresser yeah I know a Tony and Guy with him just the, the lengths we go to <laughs> even there when they're getting a haircut um, all right Following on from the grand final, obviously there's, there's a fair bit of speculation around the future of coach Ange Postacoglu, uh, with Ernie Merrick uh, being shown the door. Obviously, they both agreed to walk through the door. Um, and you're shown it. I'm not was, getting was, out of it. He was sort of shown where it was, and then he agreed to walk through it. Um, there's obviously Ange being a Melbourne boy, his previous uh, managerial and player success were all in Melbourne. 
it was an obvious link, um, but with the FFA taking over Queensland, they're going to try and move to uh, to obviously stop him. Well, yeah, I mean that he's one of their biggest attributes, and he's the you know in terms of someone coming in and buying the club, um, it, it's much less of an attractive proposition um, when there's not arguably the most important component of the whole club there. So yeah, it's no surprise that they've moved to sort of extend that contract, and it seems that both Melbourne clubs are interested, not just... Yeah, that was a bit of an odd one. Very it? strange. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how Scott, far was Scott uh, John Matt Skip reading and, uh, that. Scott Munn moved quickly to sort of... Uh, dispel that one as soon as possible. On that. Give Mr Mellon Bell a slap down. And the Courier-Mail are reporting that the FFA are going to offer uh, Ange a four-year deal to keep him at Brisbane. There's an interesting power play going on there, because the Australian was saying today that uh, talks are stalled between Ange and Brisbane, uh, because Brisbane weren't putting up enough money. Which, uh, for him or for the squad? Uh, for the squad. Because I've heard that the FFA are going to look to run it at 85% of the salary cap. Yep, yep. Yeah. Same as they did with and, and, and the problem with that is, is all of those players' values, you know, from the likes of the Ivan Franiches to, you know, Matt Mackay has just got a, a massively improved deal, Thomas Broke, they're all now on the map for every other A-League team. Absolutely. And this is the devastating thing about uh, the A-League. Every time we have a good team put together... It seems to get dismantled straight after they win the grand final. It's exactly. But we um, see it in the NRL as well. Yeah. You know, since yeah. I've been here, ten years I've been here, I think there's been eight different winners because for the, exactly the same reason. Though. But the thing is, we then go into Europe next season with this ridiculously weak side that yeah. you know is incapable of defending Gamba Saka five times. <laughs> Did I? Oh yeah. god. <laughs> Not quite yet. Into Asia. Into Asia. <laughs> Champions League. <laughs> you know what we Glad meant. somebody's paying attention you know what to what we I meant. say. Um, well, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you know, Melbourne victory. Uh, grand finalists last year, lost on penalties. Uh, just jettisoned Ernie Merrick, lost again at home in front of a paltry crowd of less than 5,000. Um, you know, for the, for the league's best supported club, they really haven't grasped the Asian Champions League, have they? It's not really... You can't really blame them considering the history and record that they've had. And, then, you know, it's just uh, an exercise in exasperation, frustration, humiliation for them so far. But also, why are these games being played at Etihad? Yeah. Well, why not play them at Amy Park? I mean... All part for the deal with that. Yeah, I know, it's frustrating. Uh, I mean, I'll, 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 about the game itself? Yep. You know, Melbourne were in it for a while, had had some chances, but just defensively they just looked frail, which yeah. is what you wouldn't normally associate with Melbourne. And, Better and start than before, anyway. Petkovic especially, you know, they're, they're set pieces, they just look like they've got no confidence in I the I know you're bread and butter to defend, you shouldn't be considering set pieces. Do you remember when we were talking about the importance that the keeper is an integral part of the defence? Oh, yeah. Perfect yeah. example. Yeah. They've lost confidence in the guy coming for the ball behind them. And all of a sudden, it, it, it means that they're, they're just completely vulnerable to set pieces. And yeah. that, that's the point I was trying to make. When we yeah, no, about that, that's, that's fair enough. But um, I still say a good defence helps a good keeper. However... Symbiotic relationship is my point. I, what I still don't understand is how Pekovic maintained a career at the top level in Turkey for so long 
and then he's come back and been so awful. He nearly won the title, victory. didn't he, in Turkey? Yeah, His yeah, team were yeah. f- running away I mean, away he, was not a, he was not considered a dodgy weak keeper in mm. Turkey in any way, shape or form. You're and rubbish. he has been absolutely shocking um, for victory. Just to put on the crowds, um, I was reading a tweet the other day, it's not just an Australia problem, the low crowds in the Asian Champions League. In Korea, they're really, really low as well. So it, it's a problem that lies a little bit with the ASC, you know, about getting interest across Asia in these games. So it's not just Australians going, I don't want to watch it. Most yeah. of Asia's not interested either. Yeah, there were stats on Twitter this morning. Yeah. 20k for normal matches, 5k for really? AFC mm-hmm. in, in Korea. All right. Uh, some good news uh, coming out of Europe from Middlesbrough is Reese Williams. is uh, getting back to approaching full fitness. Uh, obviously, we're fully aware of him dropping out of the, of the World Cup reckoning through injury. Um, but he seems to be getting back to full fitness, which is a, a massive boost. Obviously not in time, really, to be considered for this squad, but Kevin, he's sort of become a bit of the forgotten man, you know. Had he been fit, you would have thought that he would have gone to the Asian Cup. And Yeah, I mean, he's... Uh, but he's still young, he's only 22. Yeah, he can get yeah. over this, and if it's not at the start of a, a series of injuries, Hayden Fox now, uh, I think, you know, he's still going to be an intrinsic part of the, uh, the Socceroos. Well, he's, he's, you know, he could find himself... You know, a very intrinsic part of the Olympic squad. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. a very yep. season head under twenty three. You know, he wouldn't yep. even be an overage player. So. Yeah, I mean, he nearly made a four four two cover the World Cup, the Green and Co- Yeah, he very very nearly made it. We were pretty optimistic about him going, playing a big part, my view. And then his injuries really cut out of it. Right. Um, finally, is the Adelaide United fans were named winners of the inaugural Hyundai A-League Fan Group of the Year Award by FFA. Um, you know, let's, let's be fair, good that they are recognising the supporters. Um, and you'd probably say Adelaide's support this year and last year has been phenomenally consistent. They've turned out in really good numbers yep. uh, and always create decent noise and colour. So yep. can't argue with the choice. I think it's you know, well-deserved, but I think it's also a safe choice as well by the FFA's... Inco- uncontroversial and uh, mm. it avoids it Melbourne, it avoids Sydney. Yeah, should have given it to Gold Coast, get some headlines. Absolutely. That's, that's the problem <laughs> they're not doing. They're not thinking of that, are they? All right, well, that's it for part two. We'll be back in part three to, uh, to have a sort of reflections on the season just gone past where we're going to look at the, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly from season six. So join us after the break. Visit Football Emporium on www.footballemporium.biz to see the largest selection of football merchandise and memorabilia in Australia. A real football shopping experience. Or why not pop in and visit them directly at 139 Victoria Road, Dremoyne. Or simply call them on 1300 Four Goals to find out what's new in the football world. to Insider, as you probably guessed from the music, we are going to be looking at the good, the bad and the ugly of season six. All right, let's take from the top the good. Gentlemen, what was good about this year? Uh, obvious one to start with would, would be the playing standard, um, general overall playing standard of the vast majority of teams, um, which was aided well with some really good imports. Um, in the past, I've seen a few imports that um, just seem to be making up the numbers when you should argue that it should be young Australian players that should be making up those numbers. Um, and, you know, despite the, the other things we're going to come on to in the other sections, 
Um, you know, that's your bread and butter, making sure that the playing standards up there. The league is never going to be respected unless the teams are playing good football, and that's what happened this season. Okay, I mean, it's a bit of a dilemma though, isn't there? In that, you know, as good as Thomas Browich, Kevin, Marcos Flores have turned out to be, they're not. You know, at the start of the season, they weren't putting bums on seats. You know, they've turned out to be fantastic signings, but then they don't have that immediate cut through and impact that makes people in when memberships are up for sale go I'm going to go and support Brisbane because I'm going to go and see Thomas Browning yeah okay we could we could do that we could get Dwight York in but that was one season yep that worked for one season then he was off uh, whereas I think the thing with Brisbane uh, and the other teams is we've seen an investment for the future Browning's 27 we could potentially have him here for five years uh, we've got if we can keep if him under the salary cap, well, or, or convert him into marquee. international marquee, whatever yeah. you know. Uh, Ricardinho was an international marquee for Melbourne. Good how, value. How good, good did that value. work out? <laughs> um, so you know, I think uh, it's long-term investment. It's like Ange coming in. Everything Ange has done has been long-term investment. It's been you know take young guys, bring them up in his style, get rid of the the deadwoods, the uh, Craig Moores, people like that, that you know, were household names, but they weren't putting bums on seats because we're, uh, Brisbane were losing. Uh, I think it's a good compromise and it's a good investment for the future. What worries me more, though, is the FFA's distaste for big name international uh, central attacking midfielders that they want out the game. Uh, and they would prefer to see that filled by uh, Australian players. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the thing is that we need to start producing them first. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. That, and, and better that we bring yeah. it in internationally in that position I, I would to show that that's the way we want to play football. Exactly. You know, I, they seem to think that they're robbing Australians of places uh, and bringing, not developing us in any way, whereas I would say that they're showing what can be done in that position. They're challenging defences, improving our defences by you know giving good uh, attacking weight. Uh, and... If there's an Australian that's better than them, they'll get the place in the squad. It's that simple. Yep. Okay. Um, Kev, you're good. You're not allowed to sign one. Um, oh gosh. Um, well, I think you know the the the. Uh, if I can't say that the teams are playing better football, can I say the coaches? Yeah, uh, I'll allow that. I'll allow that. Uh, I think there's there's a huge step up in the coaching uh, for half the league. Uh, and a huge step down, or just locked in the past for the other half of the league. Uh, I think you know what Ange and Arnie uh, brought to the league was hugely unexpected, uh, and I can say that because I tipped the top three as being my bottom three. Haven't told anyone. But yeah, I've been taken away, blown away by uh, what they brought this year, and you know I think the grand final was just an exceptional example of. Solid, solid coaching, solid tactics, uh, and you know it was a real step up in anything we've ever seen before. Yeah, like. Okay, uh, I'll go good. I'll go with what we've just seen. In that, I think that you know, in two hours on the pitch, off the pitch, after what has been a tough season for everyone, I think that that final game, that final spectacle, has reinvigorated a lot of people. That we have, you know, the game has still got a future here. Um, you know, it was a lot of like doom and gloom after the World Cup bid and the crowds, and I just think it just again showed 
enough people, not just fans of those two teams, I just think fans of football in this country, that the game is still has still got a pretty strong heartbeat and it's up to us to, to try and produce that every week. Yeah. I think also one thing uh, that's come up in the last couple of months that's really, really good to see is this reawakening, this re-awareness uh, of uh, how important the fans are to this game. Uh, not just with the clubs, but with the FFA and everybody, uh, and the fans actually coming together and having a voice and being able to, to put it together. The, the uh, fan forums have been a fantastic initiative. Yeah, and on that as well, uh, we've got our fan census up at the moment on the site. So we've had nearly a, a thousand surveys filled out in the matter of a few hours. So uh, it's your chance to have a say on a range of issues from this season and from the game in general, which we'll be using and reproducing in the magazine on the website. Um, so jump onto the website au.442.com in the next week and have your say. Uh, all right, Chev, so let's look at the bad. Yep. Do I get to go first every time? Oh, <laughs> this right. is great. I get to say the most obvious one. Kev, you can go first. Uh, the bad, there was a lot of bad this season. Where do there I was start? a huge amount of bad. Where do we start? With? In just the A-League? Yep. Uh, <laughs> Fury. Uh, what happened with Fury? I thought that was uh, shocking, but semi-understandable given the, the tight finances the FFA but you know I still don't think you can take a franchise you can take the A-League into an area give it an identity and then pull the rug from underneath its feet before it's even had a chance to, to stand up for itself uh, I thought that was a huge huge on goal by the FFA that was a terrible thing I think Perth uh, that they, the way they squandered uh, their squad this season their infighting amongst the management and Really, Tony Sage needs to take a grip of that situation and look at what the, the weakest link is in his setup now uh, and do something about it. Uh, it's no good Mitchell and Fergie blaming each other. Uh, they're both to blame. Okay. <laughs> Trev? I'm going to go with the crowds. I mean, it's something we talk about perhaps too much on the pod at, at times, but yeah, that, that was the baddest aspect for me that we saw so many empty stadiums and you know teams that have been bought in didn't add to, you know, only succeeded in bringing down our average, you know, for a second year. Um, and it's it's really disappointing not only to um, to not have big crowds, but to see them sliding year on year and, and to be into the sixth season with things looking so good on the pitch and looking so bad in the stands. So that's my vote for bad. Okay. Um, I'd sort of touch on Fury as well, but I just think the expansion as a whole is... Has not given, you know, if anything, it, it's it's creating an obstacle to the league rather than giving it the the, the sort of kickstart that we hope that it would. You know, yeah. we'd hope that, you know, also for us, you know, let's look at our business. You know, we we, we need more supporters, we need more fan groups, we need, you know, more players, we need more more marquee players, we need more colours, you know, we need more kits, you know, and I just feel that. I don't really feel like the expansion has given us a step forward at all. If, if no. anything, it's just created more problems. You know, we yeah. look at Melbourne, and whilst Melbourne Hearts seem to be, you know, a fairly tight ship in terms of the way that they run and the way very professional in the way that they run, they've lost a lot of money. You know, they've lost what they expected to lose, mm. but that's a fair chunk of money. And they just seem to have cannibalised Melbourne Victory's crowd. Yeah, you know, I think that's a mistake. The whole expansion thing's not been based on organic football. Uh, reasons for expansion. It's been based on chasing other codes or chasing uh, market domination in the case of Melbourne. Uh, whereas, you know, the logical areas for us to expand into have been ignored. West Sydney. How can you not get a team running in West Sydney? Mm. It should be the simplest, most easy, straightforward club to set up. And in the case in the of, country. you know, 
uh, Gold Coast and North Queensland. You know, they it was didn't seem to be based on any sort of um, no. business plan. It was based on this guy's got the money to bankroll it. And, yeah, and also we want, we want to get in there before Matheson, the Gold Coast. He only uh, had the money AFM for nine team. months, and you know, Clive yeah. Palmer's still got the money, but there's not. I don't feel like there's a football club being built. Fury yet. had a bigger average attendance than Gold Coast United. That is just. But they didn't have Clive Palmer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just wrong decisions being made. Wrong reasons. All right. Trev, start with you again. The ugly. Uh, I'm going to go Perth slash Fergie's approach to how he made Perth play. I just think it was a um, you know, a good set of players that ended up playing pretty ugly football, an ugly situation. And, um, yeah, a team that started so well, should have ended up in the top four, found itself so low down. Yeah, definitely. The, per- the Perth situation. Um our predictions could probably go in the ugly category as well, and the, and, <laughs> and the, and the bad category. <laughs> Kev, um, the FFA this season. I think they've had uh, their worst season ever, uh, and there was a, a lot of uh, a huge gulf created between them and fans, and probably clubs as well. Uh, I think they uh, they abandoned the A League in favour of the World Cup bid. We all know how ugly that finished. Uh, then they you just carried on making bad decisions, uh, and it just led to a very, very ugly end to the season. They've got a lot to be grateful to uh, Arnie and Ange for uh, wiping some of those memories away last weekend. Okay, you touched on mine in the in in that last bit there, which was uh, and, and, and there is a d- direct A League sort of uh, byproduct. Of this for me was the was the way that the World Cup. Bit ended, and you know the fact, that the amount of resources that went into that, that um, yeah, that sucked clearly sucked away from the promotion of the local game and to the detriment of the local game. You know, and I think it, the whole process, yeah, you know, and, and I'm not blame, you know, I'm not the FFA is certainly not to blame for this, but I just came away from that, from that whole process feeling that the game's a little bit ugly or very ugly in certain areas, you know, and, and the, I'm not sure, you know. That, Binamam is going to express his, you know, whether his intention is to stand against Blatter, and I'm not sure he would be a step forward. No. Oh, you no, know, and, no, and that no. whole sort of, you know, at that upper echelons of the game, you know, he's still the, the whole World Cup to Qatar and, and the way that the process, you know, was, was managed, it just still leaves, a, you know, a bit of taste in my mouth. I think yeah. it, it will be there for a while. Um, all right, that's it. That's part three. We probably should have done it the other way around, shouldn't we? Should have gone ugly, finish back, good, and finished yeah. on all positive. But anyway, <laughs> there is still plenty to be uh, to be happy about uh, and positive about. So we'll uh, we'll take a break there, and we will be back in the final part uh, with no A League to talk about for the next nineteen months. <laughs> we're gonna uh, we're gonna turn our attention to Europe, and we're gonna look at Champions League, FA Cup, and English Premier League. The new issue of 442 is now on sale, and it's a master and apprentice special with worldwide exclusive interviews with Messi and Maradona. And look at whether Messi could be called the greatest ever yet. We also catch up with local heroes Matt Mackay and Patricio Perez and look back on the Socceroos' Asian Cup campaign in pictures. We take you to London for the inside story of Aussie and Kiwi hopefuls taking part in Nike's The Chance Initiative and take a look at whether tactics are overrated in football, plus the regular Planet Football and Performance section with additional video and photo features in the iPad edition. On sale now at all good news agents or the App Store. 
back to 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back to the final part of this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to turn our attention to Europe now. And overnight, this morning, Champions League ties. Uh, so Chelsea draw 0-0 with Copenhagen, not the... Uh, not the uh, result that people expected, certainly not the result that I was betting on. Um, but it was a nil-nil draw, which saw Chelsea still go through relatively comfortably 2-0 on aggregate, thanks to the away leg in Copenhagen. Real Madrid uh, took care of Lyon comfortably. It was a bit of a banana skin there for them. Mm. Yeah, they, that's the first time they've reached the quarters. Quarters in, in how yeah. many years? About Seven years or five, yeah, yeah, first time they've gone past the that's first incredible. stage of the knockout. Yeah, it's phenomenal, isn't it? Uh, so Mourinho... Another little bit of Magic Mourinho's home record still intact. Well, that is astonishing, isn't it? One of the most <laughs> stupid records in world oh, no. sport ever, isn't it? How is that possible? Is that over 150 games now, yep. isn't it? It's yeah. 151, I think. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yesterday's game saw Man United uh, overcome Marseille. Tight game, this. You know, this was a, one of those dangerously poised games in the uh, nil-nil from the away leg, which isn't the worst result in Europe for the home team because then they only, you know, they, Man United were one nil up. For a long period in this, but Marseille had a number of good chances, and and that goal, a single goal, would have then put them through. As it was, uh, United got the second, Hernandez getting a brace, um, and then a, a, an own goal, as it turned out, you know, created a fairly nervy last seven or eight minutes for United, but they hung on and got through. Manu, Manu've got a bit of a funny record for that actually, yeah, going away right. and and getting nil nil draws and then going out and away goals well, at home. Porto, mm-hmm. when Porto yeah. Under Mourinho, I think Monaco as well. They did it against in the Champions League. Yeah. So. Uh, the game of the round though was uh, was at the Allianz Arena, where uh, Bayern Munich came with a one nil, you know, great one nil win in the San Siro, which put them right in the uh, driving seat. But then uh, Inter Milan opened the scoring. Uh, but then Bayern Munich looked in control at 2-1 before a Schneider goal and then a very late goal from uh, Pandev after fantastic work from Eto'o, laid it on a tee for him, he put it in the top corner, stunning win for Milan. First time in 15 years a club's uh, lost the first leg at home. Uh, so it's only ever been done once oh. before, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Knowledge, yeah. good knowledge. Yeah. Twitter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good Twitter account. <laughs> so yeah, so in, a, in a rematch of uh, last season's final... Yep. Uh, Inter Milan again prevailed. Uh, stunning turnaround, really, since Benitez has gone under Leonardo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think you really could see him just falling away for the rest of the season. But they've still got the still got the players there if they could get themselves organised. Um, Champions League. I'm, I'm a massive fan of. I was musing about this the other day that I enjoyed the Champions League more than the World Cup. Not that I like to say controversial things. It's quite a big call. I know it's a big call. Um, it's Fergie that gave me the idea, actually. Um, Alex Ferguson, might have heard of him. And he, um, you know, he was making the point about, you know, this is the real comp. These are the best players in the world playing against each other. Says there hasn't been a decent World Cup since 1986. <laughs> and I'm not saying he's completely right. I'm not 100% saying I think that. But, you know, when it comes... You know, it's right when it comes to watching the best players play each other in a format where the, the guys, you know, you know, know, know each, how each other play and play as more of a unit, then the Champions League's the best. Yeah, well, the draw uh, is tomorrow night, I think 10 p.m. Uh, Australian time, which is like midday, 11 in the morning in, the, in Europe. Uh, the final eight is Chelsea, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Man United, Schalke, Shakhtar Donetsk, Spurs, and Barcelona. <laughs> Uh, Kev, now I've got a theory about this. Champions League final is at Wembley. 
I think the last thing UEFA would want would be three English teams in the semi-finals. Two English teams would be drawn against each other in the quarter-final. Nailed on certainty. Discuss. <laughs> they might introduce that seeding. You know the seeding they do sometimes. Well, oh, I've got new seeding. <laughs> yeah, I know. In the last 16, you couldn't, you couldn't be drawn against anyone from your group and you couldn't be drawn against anyone from your own country. This is now an open draw, which, but they also draw the route to the final. So you'll know who you're going to play in the semi-final as well. Chelsea, Tottenham want to get each other in that case. I mean, I, I can't imagine that UEFA would want an all-English final at Wembley. An all-London final. <laughs> London final at Wembley. In Wembley. That. Uh, that would be a thing. Mm. Especially as the London side's never won the Champions League. Well, it's no. never won the European no. Cup, have they, London no. side? Never. Mm-hmm. No. So what do we think? Um, in, t- in terms of the draw... Some big guns in there still. I'd, I'd like to see... Um, yeah, I always like to see the... Uh, you know, domestic sides separated. You know, as great as Real yeah. Madrid and Barcelona is, I don't want to see that in the you know the quarterfinals of the cup. Nor do I really want to see it in the final either. Um, so that's what I'd kind of mainly like from the draw. Um, there's there's some dark horses in there though. There's obvious ones to look at. I don't think Man are as strong as they've been in previous seasons. They've made the final. God. It's just about who can <coughs> stop Barca, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's some potential great stories in there. You know, if, if Schalke drew Real Madrid, you'd have Raúl. Yeah. Sort of going back to Madrid, you know, you obviously got the potential of a Chelsea Man United rematch, the final from Moscow a couple of years ago. Uh, you've got the potential of Real Madrid Barcelona, which would be huge uh, for Mourinho as well. You've got the chance of Real Madrid Chelsea, Mourinho going back to Chelsea. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's subplots all over the, the shop, but the. Uh, there's no small games left, really, is uh, there? No. It will all be uh, determined tomorrow night. I know a few people in our office that will be glued to the TV. <laughs> Uh, I think Maka is uh, planning his trip back for the quarterfinals as we speak. Uh, <laughs> if the name Real Madrid or Barcelona comes out of the hat, so uh, so all right. Let's look at the FA Cup uh, quarterfinals were last weekend. Uh, let me just get my sheets, and they went as follows: Man City uh, huffed and puffed, but finally got over Reading one nil with the Michael Richards goal. Stoke, Trev, talk me through it. Yeah, Stoke two, West Ham one. Yeah, I was some shocking referee in there, you know, both in our favour, but a massive handball before we scored. Um, and that kind of sidetracked away from, from the game a little bit. Um, you know, as a West Ham fan, it's one of those ones, you know, when you're really, really struggling, might get relegated in the league. The cup's nice, but you're more panicking about getting relegated than anything else. Um, yeah. But awful. One of the I one of the worst I remember myself like that when we went out in Man City. Yeah, I mean, I, all, I was, all we're going to focus on is staying up there. But yeah. I mean, you know, I, I genuinely wasn't that bothered really. Obviously, you want to win every game, but yeah, I mean, probably the tile around was uh, Bolton's last ditch win at Birmingham. Yeah, it was a belter game actually. Birmingham Break off from Kevin Phillips, player that we've. Yeah, it's been talked about in the A-League shows that he's I still know, got the ability uh, to do it at 37. No, Branko was very keen to get his hands yeah. on uh, Kevin Phillips when he was interested in Francis Jeffers. Uh, that was his first port of call was Kevin Phillips, uh, but he was unavailable then, so he went with Jeffers uh, and tried again later on. Um, but it was, a, it was a belter game, really top quality, uh, but Birmingham looked a bit tired after their uh, A-Carling Cup tie. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Bolton... Just keep going on and on. Well, you know, there's a, there's another again another subplot to that with the death of Nat Lofthouse recently. You know, that's a yeah, you know, you yeah. know, that would be a not you know a fantastic tribute to him would be for Bolton to walk out of Wembley in the <laughs> FA Cup for. They're going to Wembley for the semi, but you sort of feel that that wave of emotion might sort of carry them through, and they've got every chance with Stoke in the semi final. That could be hell of an arm wrestle at Wembley, but um, but Man United uh, took care of Arsenal. Um, 
you say quite comfortably. I mean, Arsenal, yeah, and we'll do what Arsenal do. Had plenty of possession, but without much penetration, and Man United just picked them off. Yeah. And did no more than they really had to do. So uh, it sets up Trevor mm. a Manchester derby at Wembley for a place in the FA Cup final. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting draw because it's a guarantee that two pretty unfashionable sides, Stoke and Bolton, um, one of them's going to be in the final. But, um, you know, I don't... I, yeah, yeah. In, all, in, all, in all, yeah, yeah. likelihood, if Man City yeah. finish in the top four. True, Cause, yeah. cause, And that, that's throwing the whole European thing wide open because Birmingham are, are in Europe for winning the Carling Cup and that, that place has traditionally gone back to the league because one of the big four has traditionally won it, yeah. mm. um, like, like Man United last season. And now with uh, the likelihood of the runner-up in the FA Cup taking a European spot, that means that only fifth in the Premier League will be good enough for Europe. So there'll be some big teams not having European football next year. Liverpool. Yeah. Liverpool, you know, potentially mainly Spurs. Yeah. If they don't finish top five. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's very, very interesting development there. OK, who's that tip? Who's the final going to be? Kev? Uh, oh, good Northwest derby. Man United versus Bolton. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd tip that yeah, as well. Same, yeah, same, right. yeah. Uh, English Premier League uh, obviously took a break last weekend uh, for the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, but begins a pace again in the running. Now, you know, nine, ten games left for some, but nine games for most. Man United clear by three points, but Arsenal have a game in hand now. This is... this. They were challenging on four fronts. Now they've got one. Is this going to play into Arsenal's hands? No. Trev? No. I, don't, I, know, I know a lot of Arsenal really? fans I mean, are Man saying United, that. I mean, you know, Man United lost two players yesterday to injury. You know, mm. They've got a number of injuries. They, you know, Skulls and Giggs are struggling to play two and three games a week or every ten days. No, I don't doubt Arsenal, innit? I just don't think getting knocked out of three competitions is going to help them win the league despite the fact I know there's pressures with you know different games and stuff I mean but th- that's a hell they have got less games to play but they're also coming off the back of having what they thought could be a quad winning season to just have in the league and you know I don't think that's going to help you know the players that are playing within there there could be a little bit of self-doubt creeping in there so no I, I, I think Arsenal will fall I mean, it's between Man U and Arsenal now, isn't it? I, I can't see anyone else. It's, it's Arsenal's best chance yeah. in years of, yeah. of getting the title. But I'm, I agree with Trev. I just don't think they'll do it. No. Because they just seem to choke. If you can't get, get past Birmingham mm. uh, in the Carling Cup final for a, a piece of silverware that you've waited years for, I just don't see them getting uh, the points they need to get past Man United. They had such an easy run-in last year. They had the easiest run-in out of everyone, and they didn't take advantage of it. Okay. They should do. They Ooh. should do. Do you think they're going to win? I'm sensing you feel that... I don't know. I just sort of... I, I want them to win. Yeah, I, want them to win. I, I genuinely yeah. want them to win. And I think they should do. And I think Man United are the weakest they've been for possibly over a decade, yeah. probably longer than that, actually. Uh, but I still don't see... I just... They don't seem to have the psychology they need. Right. Well, I mean, look, look, let's have a look at some of the games this weekend. We've got we've got what we've just tipped as the FA Cup final uh, in the league. Man United Bolton um, could be a dress rehearsal for a bigger date in Wembley in, in May. Uh, Arsenal go to West Brom. Chelsea host Man City in probably the, the game of the round on Sunday. Uh, Liverpool travel to Sunderland. I mean, let's 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 look at the bottom half of the table because that's arguably. More interested in competitive. The bottom half of the bottom uh, eight to twenty. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got, yeah, you've only got nine points separating the whole bottom half of the Premier League from tenth yep. to twentieth. There's three wins, and with most of those teams playing each other at least once over the course 
Um, you know, you go looking to. I mean, there's, there's there's one win, three points between 12th and 18th, which mm. is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Trev, mm. our boys. I'm certainly not breathing easy yet. Yeah, I, th- I, think I was a couple of weeks ago. I thought we pulled when we beat Blackburn four one. Like we back up to sort of like. 10th, 11th, now we're right back in it again. We're two points away from the relegation zone. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing. One win, and you're yo-yoing up and down the, the league. Birmingham were, you know, top in the top 10, I think, at one stage, and then they lost one game, yeah. and suddenly they were in the relegation zone. Well, we host mm. Wolves this weekend. Massive. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we lose to Wolves at home, which is certainly possible with some of the results that Wolves have been getting. They go to within a point of us, and we could find ourselves in the bottom three yeah. by the end of this game. And we're currently in 13th. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, my, my concern about Villa is there's a lot of teams around there that are hardened relegation candidate scrappers at this stage of the season, and we're not. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we're not geared up for this fight, you know. And that's my concern is we could very easily find ourselves dragged into that. Um, I mean, it's a horrible situation, Trevor. I think you, we're probably going to find that there'll be a team outside the relegation zone that yeah. potentially gets relegated on the last day. Yeah, well... I, I, I mean, it makes for great TV, but... Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, Blackpool and West Brom, in terms of, you know, likely candidates get dragged in, you always sort of feel that Wolves have got, you know, enough to get themselves out of it. I don't think West Ham will, to be honest. I just think our running's too difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ken, normally by this time of season... One of the relegation spots is nailed on. Oh, so absolutely. They're already yeah. gone There's down, a West Brom that's you know, nearly out. On 11 points and, and no chance whatsoever. And yeah. Uh, but this year, no, I mean, Wigan, I think, are pretty much nailed on. They're, they're not going to survive. Uh, Got but Birmingham after that, this weekend. That's, that's after that, decide. I reckon, you know, anyone from 12, virtually anyone from 10. Yeah. Well, we've got Spurs host West Ham. So, Trev, tough, tough going for you. Yeah, uh, Blackburn host Blackpool. I mean, yeah, there's six pointers all over the shop here. Stoke, Newcastle, uh, West Brom Arsenal, as we said, Wigan, Birmingham, Everton, Fulham, Sunderland, Liverpool. Wigan, Birmingham. I mean, that that's proper, proper massive, isn't it? I mean, they're on 27 points, and yeah, they do look doomed. They win that, then they're back up into the, the 30s, <laughs> along with most other people. But Yeah. All right, so over the coming next, next seven or eight weeks, we'll uh, obviously be focusing more on the uh, English Premier League and the other leagues around Europe and the, ch- and the Champions League. As we know loads about those other leagues around oh, Europe as well. We'll, we'll be bringing you all of that. Uh, we'll, we'll be reading Sid Lowe's blog on the guy and see what he thinks about Spain. Well, I reckon that the Spanish league's between Real Madrid and Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, it's a two-horse race. Yeah. All right, well, thanks a lot to us, Kev. Thanks for coming in and sharing your views on the A-League season. You're welcome. Uh, Trev, thanks as always, Cheers. and uh, get onto the website. Have your say in our uh, fans for, our fan survey. Get out and buy the magazine. You've got about another couple of weeks to buy the Lionel Messi issue. Yeah. Um, what's next? What have we got coming up next? Uh, Premier League legends. Yeah, Premier League legends. So um, interviews with uh, Burkamp, uh, Viduka, Giggs, Shearer, and Klinsman. Don't get much better than that. Get excited. All right, that's all for this week. Enjoy your football this weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.